good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Kevin Norcross, pastor of Next Generation Outreach, and today is Palm Sunday. We're celebrating it as a church family in preparation for uh, Easter weekend coming up. And um, today we're going to be looking at John chapter 12. If you got your Bibles, you can pull that out. We'll read it in a few minutes, but uh, we'll be studying John chapter 12. I'm going to do the first few verses, <clears throat> and then Pastor Neil's going to come and do the, the rest of the, the portion of Scripture. So... Um, in John 12, we see the events that took place, again, leading up to uh, the Easter weekend, the first-hand account of it. And uh, this week, Holy Week, Passion Week, Easter weekend, we're also celebrating as a church. So uh, we're going to have a Good Friday service um, on Friday at 10 o'clock. Um, so... It's going to be uh, special this year because we have Pastor Harvey Katz coming to kind of uh, take us through um, some teachings around the Passover. He's a, a Messianic Jew and he has done this at different churches before. And so um, we're looking forward to that. Again, it's at 10 o'clock, not at 11. And um, there's no kids church for that. And then we're going to have the Easter <clears throat> Sunday celebration with two services, 9 and 11. <clears throat> if you come at 10, you're going to be really early or really late. So we encourage you to come to that. But today we're looking at ways that we can prepare as we head into this weekend. We're going to look at the first-hand account of, of the people who experienced it firsthand and how they prepared and learn from them in ways that we can learn. So... Uh, there's a lot that we can learn from these people. So our big idea today is that there are ways <clears throat> that you can prepare your heart for the Easter weekend. So first, um, a little bit of ba background. Prior to, to what we're learning and studying today in 1 John is um, <clears throat> Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. This made a huge impact on, uh, on society, and the aftermath led to some people being happy, some people being unhappy. There were people that were uh, excited to see Jesus and, and, and wanting to hear more about him, but there were also the, the chief priests and the Pharisees who were plotting to kill him. So Jesus knew that this was happening. He knew the week that he was about to go through and all the things he wanted to accomplish, but the other people didn't know what was coming. They didn't know what was happening. We know the story. We know what Jesus went through. We know the significance of it. But remember, those who were going through it firsthand, they didn't know what was, what was coming. They were just preparing for the Passover. Just like today, many people are gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That was happening back in Jesus' day. So uh, Jesus made a uh, his preparations for that weekend. And because Jesus was going to be at the Passover, there was a buzz. There was this extra excitement because people wanted to meet him. They wanted to see this Lazarus that, that Jesus has raised from the dead. So the, he was the talk of the town. They were expecting his arrival. So with this as the backdrop, we're going to read John 12. I'd like to invite you to stand. I'm just going to do the first uh, few verses. John chapter 12, 1 to 11. Here's what it says. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with, his, with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. 
Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a chief, because he was a thief, and many the keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to whatever was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to see Jesus and putting their faith in him. All right, you can have a seat. So that's the first few verses. Thank you to this water that suddenly appeared. Just a reminder, we're going to learn from the people who experienced this firsthand, and we're going to learn how we can prepare for this upcoming weekend. So let's look at the first verse, uh, verses 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, who Jesus raised from the dead. Here is a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. So the Passover was coming up. It's on Thursday, the crucifixion on Friday, and then the resurrection on Sunday. And Jesus went to Bethany to prepare. He was there with Lazarus and the disciples and some others. And as they prepared, they were getting ready for what was coming this week. They shared a meal together and Jesus was the guest of honor. I don't know how they made Jesus the guest of honor, but it does say specifically that he sat at the table. And I often wonder how this equates to my own life. And you should ask the same question. If you were to look at your your inner being, your priorities and your goals and the things that fill up your time, where would Jesus fit in all of this? Would Jesus be the guest of honor? Let's take it a little step further. I'm going to elaborate. Let's say we invited your inner world into the room for a meal, okay? First of all, we've got priorities. Welcome priorities. We're glad you're here. Spent a lot of time focusing on you. Next, we've got goals. Goals, glad you're here. You're important to me. Appreciate how you motivate me to keep going. Glad you're here. Um, How I spend my time. Uh, glad you're here, how I spend my time. I don't know how, why your mother named you that. It's a pretty long name, but uh, personal stuff, okay? The whole crew is here, marriage, uh, home life, mowing the lawn, kids, everybody's here. We're glad, glad you made it. And Jesus, all right, well, it's kind of awkward, but there's no more room at the table. Jesus, I know you're, you're uh, creator of the universe, died on the cross for my sins, absolutely hopeless without you, but there's no room at the table, so I'm just going to, why don't you just wait over there, Jesus, I'll spend some more time with you later. This is a little bit of a silly illustration, but isn't it true sometimes when we do that? We have all this stuff, and we wonder, we just kind of set Jesus aside for later, but Jesus needs to be the guest of honor, Jesus needs to sit in his rightful place on the throne of your heart. So I ask you this morning, would Jesus be the guest of honor? If you invited all this stuff, if you looked at your inner world, would Jesus be the guest of honor? Would he be the most important person in the room? Or are there other things that take your focus and take it away from Jesus? It should cause you to ask yourself, are your priorities right? 
Are you too focused on other people, money, career, kids, marriage, personal goals? Invite the Holy Spirit even now to say, help me get my priorities right and help me to put Jesus in his rightful place. If Jesus is on the peripheral in your life, I encourage you this week to make preparations and put him right in the center where, where he belongs. So this week is an opportunity to reflect on your own life and ensure that Jesus is the guest of honor, just like he was at that original meal, all right? Let's move on to chap, uh, verse three. Then Mary took about a pint of nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now, washing the feet was a, a nasty, dirty job. The people would walk around in the streets with their sandals and they'd get mud and other stuff on their feet. And so when you came in the home, you needed to wash the feet. And I wonder how this incredible act of humility and sacrifice, how it should impact my life and how it should impact yours. Would you do this kind of act? Would you uh, do this nasty job? Would you come so close to Jesus and do this? If I were to do it, I'd have to grow my hair out a little bit. But this was a very big, big opportunity for, for, for Mary. And it's an opportunity for you to reflect on your own heart. If you were to look at your inner being and your priorities and your goals and the things that, that take up your time, would you put those aside and humble yourself like Mary did? Would you be so brave to come so close to Jesus and have this moment with him like she did? Or would you stay distant and on the peripheral? Do you long to be closer to Jesus? It's an opportunity for you to reflect on, the, on your inner world, on the things and your priorities as we lead up to Easter and ensure that you are intimate and you are close with Jesus and ensure that you will make effort and sacrifice to be close to him just like Mary did. Verse four to, to six, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. So this incredible moment is happening between Jesus and Mary, this incredible display of, of, of closeness and of sacrifice. And Judas pipes up. Judas pipes up. He's a naysayer. He's a hypocrite. But he pipes up and he, he, he tries to squash what God is doing in Mary's life. He tries to put his thumb on it. You see, what was happening in Mary's heart was actually opposite to what was happening in Judas' heart. Mary was close. Judas was distant. Mary was making sacrifice. Judas was being selfish. Judas was being a grumpy old naysayer, a Debbie Downer, a religious squasher of dreams. Rather than encouraging Mary in that moment, he tried to discourage her. And she was having this powerful moment, this miracle of God was happening. And he uh, was selfish because of his hypocrisy. If you look at your own inner being, in your own inner world, would you say I'm a bit of a, a grumpy old naysayer? <laughs> Is there some hypocrisy in your life? When you see God doing something great in someone else's life, do you kind of shake your finger at it? Do you try and squash what God's doing in other people's lives? This week is an opportunity to do some self-reflection, to say, I want to be someone who builds up and not tears down. 
I want to be a person of faith that when I see God doing something in someone else's life, I encourage them and I pour into them. Next couple verses, seven to eight. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus defends her. Jesus acknowledges the significance of this moment. Jesus shuts Judas down and he defends Mary. A couple of things that stand out here to remember. Jesus will come to your defense. <laughs> know that when God is doing a work in your life and when he, you're, you're, you're moving forward and you're developing your relationship with him, he will come to your defense. He comes along and encourages you to keep on going and pursue relationship with him. It also reminds us that Jesus needs to be our top priority. He says the poor will always be with you. He's not discounting ministry to the poor. He's not discounting church ministry. He's not discounting your role in your family, ministry to your family. He's not discounting all those things. He's just saying, remember, keep me top priority. Church, remember that when you're doing things for God, make sure Jesus is number one priority. It's out of that relationship, putting God first, that all these other things flow. This week, again, is an opportunity for you to reflect on your own inner being, your priorities, the things, and your goals to say, Jesus, you need to be number one in my life. You need to be my number one priority, my top priority. Last couple verses. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also because of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going along, going over to see Jesus and believing in him. Again, this tremendous anticipation of Jesus and the work that he was doing. He wanted to see, uh, they wanted to see Lazarus. They wanted to ask him about his experience and what's it like to be dead and not dead anymore. They wanted to meet him. They wanted to meet Jesus. They had, again, they had no idea what was going to happen, but they were there and they were excited. I want to encourage you and remind you to invite someone this Sunday to Easter. Looking back in scripture, we see all this momentum built around the Passover, built around Jesus is coming to town. I want to see him. There's not that same excitement in our culture today, but there is a bit of a buzz around Easter. For many people, this will be a few times a year that they come to church. For others, there's, there's curiosity. And you have an opportunity to invite someone to Easter Sunday. We have these, these cards and you can get them on your way out. I'm not saying you have to take a hundred of them and stand on the corner and hand them out. But would you take the step of faith just to grab a stack after church and be praying this week, God, who could I invite to Easter Sunday? We know the power of this weekend. We know the power of the cross. And I encourage you to invite someone this weekend, nine or 11. And if you can come to the nine o'clock service, that'll just make some extra room in here for our guests. And it's gonna be a great Sunday. There was this sense of awe and wonder and excitement about Jesus coming. And it's an opportunity to reflect in your own heart and life this week. Do you still revere the name of Jesus? Do you still is there still fire in your heart and excitement and awe and wonder about the name of Jesus? Or have you lost it? Perhaps this week is a time to, to rekindle that flame. 
I encourage you in your quiet time this week, reflect on the resurrection story. Reflect on Palm Sunday. Reflect on this Holy Week, this Passion Week. If you don't have a regular time where you spend Bible reading and prayer, try it this week. Even a couple minutes. Prepare for Jesus coming. Prepare that, that this awe and wonder would be rekindled in your heart. So I encourage you to learn from the people in this story. Learn from Mary and ensure that you are intimate and close to Jesus and that you will make effort and sacrifice to get to know him in relationship. Learn from Judas and ensure that you're, you're not someone who's a, a, a Debbie Downer, but you're someone who builds up and encourages others in their faith. That you are a person of hope, faith and hope and keep focused on what matters. Be reminded that Jesus comes alongside you and encourages you to keep going and pursuing relationship with Jesus. And this week, get caught up in the excitement and the, the awe of Jesus as we celebrate this Easter weekend. I'm going to pray and then Neil's going to come up and work us through the last few verses. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for your word. And uh, we just pray, God, as, as Neil takes us through the last few verses, that we would continue to learn from these different characters, these different people in this story. And God, build us up as a church to know you in a deeper way. In Christ's name, amen. So after, after the event, uh... Let's try that. So after the event of Jesus being anointed at Bethany, uh, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And before I ask all of us to stand as we read the next part in the book of John, I want you to imagine Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Imagine the place. It is busy. There's lots of people in Jerusalem at this point. So why don't we stand as we continue to read the chapter of Scripture that we are looking at today. We're reading from John 12, 12 to 19. Let's think about there's a festival that will be happening shortly, and these people are here for the festival. There's a buzz in the air. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all, all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that, that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him, Jesus, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You may be seated. So it's a time of Passover. And the Jews are ready to celebrate it. Now, Passover is a very important festival. It commemorates the protection of God, of the people of Israel, when they were in bondage in Egypt. When the angel of death came as the last plague upon Egypt, 
he would pass over any house that had the sacrificial blood of the lamb, and death would not enter into that home. Passover was a very important festival, and many people attended it to commemorate this important historical event that happened to the Hebrew people. The city is busy, and some people that are in, some people believe that in the city, there would have been hundreds and thousands of people, maybe even a million or two. And there's a crowd of people there. So today we're going to be looking at this crowd, and we're going to be looking at four types of people within this crowd, and how they interact with Jesus. We're going to take a look at their heart, and how they responded to Jesus. So the first group of people I'd like to identify with is the spectators. Now these are the people that John writes as being the great crowd that's come for the festival. And they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Now rumors would have swirled all over the place that Jesus was coming into the city. Word would have gotten out that this is a guy who performs miracles. In fact, healings were happening in his ministry. And on top of that, he raised a person to life from death. This is huge. This is big. Um, He not only multiplied fish and bread, but he rose somebody from the dead. And could this be the one that we've all heard around for about 400 years that the Messiah is coming? Could, Could this be that person? Now, these spectators would have been actually, majority of them, were probably superficial. They were somewhat spiritual. Um, They were the people that would probably come out for all the festivals, you know, came out for all the food, um, did their religious duty, uh, but not a lot of commitment, or very few. Um, They paid lip service to what was going on. They jumped on the bandwagon. Now, you know what I mean by jumping on the bandwagon when your favorite team is making the playoffs and you have been faithful to them for years, maybe even decades. Then all of a sudden, all these people who you never knew they even enjoyed the sport are wearing the jerseys that you have worn forever. So these people are jumping on the bandwagon of Jesus is coming in. And they are a very loud bunch of people. Um, They took bomb branches, they're shouting, and some of them know the the terminology. They know certain words to say. You know, individuals who have paid lip service, they, they they know the key words, the religious words. And they're saying, Hosanna. Oh, and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. We would have had some of those people in that crowd like that. And as the crowd is seeing this, um, some of them who knew the Old Testament scriptures, who knew the Old Testament prophecies, um, would have noticed something interesting that happened that John writes, saying that Jesus found a young donkey and he was riding on a donkey's colt, which is what Zechariah wrote in Zechariah 9, hundreds of years before. It says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout and triumph, people of Jerusalem. Your king is coming, righteous, victorious, humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Now this group, they were loud, and they're shouting Hosanna, and they're saying all the right things. But they're a very interesting group of people here. See, these spectators actually have a shallow heart. They would have been enthusiastic and loud, but, but all of that was just 
It was just temporary. It wasn't, it wasn't long-lasting. Their hearts were shallow. They lacked something. They would have been probably maybe the first ones to go against Jesus when he came to Good Friday. See, these spectators, they had a shallow heart. But what they needed to have was a, a commitment. They needed to commit to God. But they, they didn't. Well, not yet anyways. They need to have a commitment in a relationship with God. And that's what goes against a shallow heart. Now, let's look at the second group. The second group, oh, our disciples. We love the disciples, don't we? They're awesome people. And, and John, he, he says, yep, these are the disciples. And when you look at John 12, 16, this is almost like, like in brackets, in parentheses, as, as, as John is writing this, um, the disciples didn't really know what was going on at the time. And so this is what John writes. At, at first, his disciples did not understand all of this that was going on. And when you look at the disciples, they were the ones with Jesus for three years of his ministry. They were there when he was performing miracles. They were there when people didn't like him. They were there in the boat. They were there for him all the time. And here are the disciples in Jerusalem, and they're walking in. This is their time. They're with the king. They're with this Messiah, and he's coming in, and he's going to change the entire world order. And the thing about the disciples, oh, they were, they were passionate. They had so much passion in them. They believed in the vision and the vision of Jesus, that Jesus was going to come in just like what was prophesied. But there's a problem with the disciples because they have an unpredictable heart. See, there are 12 people with Jesus, and they are unpredictable because they are so emotional, so emotional. And, and you know, one, one day they believe in Jesus, and then the other day, well, no, maybe not really. And, oh, Jesus, Jesus, we will never leave you. We will never forsake you. Then they deny him three times and leave him on the cross. Very unpredictable. Very emotional. Now, emotions are good, and that's what makes us human. We laugh, we cry, we feel, we hurt. We're emotional people. But sometimes the emotions get the better of all of us, that we may not think clearly enough, may not have that self-control that we need. And the disciples, they really didn't have it, that. See, they needed to be rooted. They needed to be rooted in Christ. Colossians 2, 7, 8 says, plant your roots in Christ and let him be the foundation of your life. Be strong in the faith, just as you were taught. They need to be rooted in God, and they weren't. Not yet. Being rooted in God is a remedy of having an unpredictable heart put away. And we are rooted in Christ Jesus. The third group of people, these are the followers. And these are the interesting people as well. They, as John calls them, you know, this is the crowd. Now, these followers were the ones that went out, and, and they were probably with Jesus for a long period of time, not as much as the disciples, and not like the people in Jerusalem who just saw Jesus, but they would have been him and seen some of his ministry in the countryside, and they wanted to be with Jesus in many things that he had done. You know, perhaps some of those people... Uh, 
heard about his ministry from the very first day. And they're anxious to see what Jesus will do. They are anxious to see what this guy Jesus will do in Jerusalem. That this guy is the prophesied one. This guy's going to come in and he's going to take over. He's going to kick Rome out because we are under Roman oppression. We are going to create our own messianic kingdom. We're going to have our own kingdom just like the ancient Israelite kings did, like David and Hezekiah. They are the ones, they are, they are high on seeing uh, Lazarus um, just being raised from the dead. Um, many people came, and all these people, say, they saw this, and they went out to meet Jesus. They wanted to see him. But there was a problem with the followers. See, the followers had a locked heart. See, what they saw of Jesus was, what can I get from Jesus? This is what I believe in, what the prophecy is saying. This is what I think it should be. And this is what they wanted to see what Jesus would do. The world has had empire after empire, kingdom after kingdom running the world. It has happened ever since the fall. But Jesus wasn't coming here to physically overtake a kingdom. He was going to overtake the roots of everything in all those kingdoms, which was the kingdom of darkness. That is what Jesus was doing. What the followers wanted to see is something physical happen. What Jesus was doing was something spiritual in nature. See, they saw Jesus as like a Santa Claus figure. And that was not right. What they needed to do they needed to be open to the will of God and let God open their locked heart. It was about the spiritual. It's never about the physical. It's not about the wants that we want from God, but it's the needs that we have. The last group, the skeptics. And these are our so-called, these are our friends, yes. Let's call them friends first. Uh, the Pharisees. Okay, now these guys, they are skeptics for sure. So they're seeing all this happen and, and they are not happy people at all. And the problem with the Pharisees is that, and the skeptics, they, they, have a, they distort the view of God. See, initially the Pharisees, their intentions at the beginning were, were good. Um, they wanted to make sure the people would be okay with the Word of God and, and follow the Word of God, and this is what it is, and we're going to put these regulations on the Word of God, then we're going to put these rules on the Word of God. The problem is the rules and the regulations became more important than the Word of God itself. And that was a horrible thing, because it was all legalism. We're doing this and that. Forget the Word of God. We know better. This is the rules. This is how it should be. They had a love for the Word of God, but the problem was when the Word of God came and dwelt among them, became flesh, they saw the Word of God, but they did not see the Word of God in their hearts. See, this is the problem of the skeptics. They have a darkened heart. A darkened heart. Ephesians 4.18 says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. They lived in such spiritual darkness that they were stuck in their own version of what faith 
needed to be, that they missed Jesus, the very word of God that came, became flesh and dwelt among the people. They totally missed the Messiah. They totally missed him. They needed the light of God to penetrate the darkness in their heart. And Jesus yearned to see this group of people, those with darkened hearts, to be changed, that they needed the light of God, and they weren't seeing it. Not yet. Now, as we looked at the passages of Scripture this morning, uh, we, we looked at the heart. And I have a question for you today about your heart. How will you prepare your heart for Easter? You know, we looked at a shallow heart that needs to be more committed to God, an unpredictable heart that needs to be more rooted in Christ, a locked heart that needs to be more open to Christ in His will, a darkened heart that needs to be, that needs to see the light of God even more. Now, let's look at our hearts today as we prepare for Easter. You know, usually we ask all the congregations to examine their heart in reflection before we take communion. But I really think this Palm Sunday, it's suitable for us to ask right now that question, for us to examine our heart for the Easter season. And I encourage you some practical ways to do that. Read through the Gospel of John, the story from Palm Sunday up until the resurrection. Prepare your heart this week as we look at John, as we look at the story of redemption, of the resurrection, of God's love for humanity. I also encourage you to, if you, um, to use other tools. We have this Easter devotional. You can pick it up at the Info Center to help you prepare your heart for this Easter season. I encourage you to come out tonight as we're having a time of prayer and celebration at 6 p.m. as we're ending off our 12-hour of prayer and fasting that we're going to come together tonight and prepare our hearts for the Easter season. You know, Easter is a tradition of the church, but my prayer is that it doesn't become traditional or ritualistic for us and we take it for granted. Let this Holy Week, let this Passion Week live in our hearts and may our hearts be passionate for God and may our hearts beat with the passion of Christ and who Christ is. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. And that is what was seen during the Passion Week. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We thank you, God, for your word that encourages us. And Father, may we prepare our hearts for this week. Let it not be a tradition let it not become a ritualistic moment for us. But let this season live in our hearts. Let our hearts beat with your heart, O oh God. Not just during this Easter season, but every single day of our life. Lord God, may you be glorified this week. And Lord, speak to our hearts as we prepare. May we draw closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.